Good morning, Stonebridge. How are y'all doing today? Good morning. Good. Hey, so we, like Matt said, we had the chance to have him come out to Marshalltown a few weeks ago. It was awesome. Matt and I, uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but um, pastoring can be lonely at times. And so Matt and I regularly get together at least once a month. We are chatting on the phone, doing a video call, or getting together, and uh, Matt is trying to keep up with me in Frisbee golf. <laughs> So, man, I have loved Matt, love you guys here. Um, Matt appropriately, when he was out in Marshalltown, was talking about how a big reason of why I'm in Marshalltown is not just because of Matt, but also because of you here in Stonebridge. Uh, just the ability, what was it, four or five years ago, as I felt God calling me towards ministry, the ability to come here and be able to actually for the first time preach on this platform. And that was just the beginning of that start of the God's call for me in vocational ministry. And so a lot has happened since then, and so I wanted to give you a few updates. One, Matt just talked about how um, Stonebridge has been supporting us as a church, and so uh, we don't have a ton of churches that have really jumped behind. So obviously Cornerstone Ames is our sending church, so they're supporting us financially, but outside of that, it's them and you. And so, man, just Paul's words, even in Philippians, of every time I think about you, I just, I just am thankful for your partnership in the gospel. And so I wanted to give you a few updates of what you are helping to allow happen in Marshalltown. And so we launched this past Easter, so we are about seven months old, which means if we were a baby, we wouldn't be able to walk yet, but yet we're still expected to have this whole church thing figured out, so we're still working on that. But there's some really cool stuff that we've been having a chance to do. So even before we launched, we have had a chance to be able to get plugged in and start serving in the community. And so there's been people in Marshalltown that have been going to Ames for church for up to seven years or longer. And so really, when we launched the service on Sunday, on, on Easter, that's what we were doing. We were launching the service because the church had already really existed in Marshalltown and was doing a lot of the things that the church should be doing. We had a chance to partner with this USDA food program where they would basically bring in 931 boxes of food, 30 pounds each, that the USDA would bring in. They were just trying to find distribution partners. So we did one of those early in December. It was nice and cold, but we figured that way we didn't need to get refrigerated trucks. And we gave out 931 boxes, which 931 of anything is a lot. And my lack of smart thinking didn't really anticipate what the logistical nightmare that was going to be was. And so we're sitting there thinking like, oh man, I hope we get rid of these things before 5 o'clock. Well, uh, we had a few complaints um, because we had the entire downtown of Marshalltown gridlocked because there was people lining up at 8 o'clock in the morning early to be able to help to, to get in line because there was such a huge need for that. And so uh, we got through 931 boxes in about two hours. And we still had cars coming by asking if there was more, and we had to say no. So uh, in the excitement of that moment, probably wasn't the wisest thing, but I called the guy up and I was like, let's do another one in two weeks. So we did another one that week right around... <laughs> Snow starting to come in, like getting blasted with it, and then we actually did another one in April. And so 931 boxes, 30 pounds each. If you're doing quick math, it's over 84,000 pounds of food we were able to give out into the community. It was awesome. And the cost to us was nothing. <laughs> but we have people serving and volunteering within the schools. Uh, we're helping clean up trash in our community in different trash pickup days. Uh, and similar, we, it's not quite as extensive as the backpack program that you're doing, but there were some local businesses that were trying to coordinate a backpack program, so we called them up and we're like, hey, 
I don't even know if they're believers or not, but we want to bless what they're doing. So we just came alongside of them and we bought all the backpacks for that backpack program. And so we, we have ability to do that, just partially due to the generosity of our people in Marshalltown, but also due to the generosity of you. We have marriages that are being restored. There's still many difficult situations that are going on, but God is at work. He's unearthing the difficulty of all those things. I'm not sure if you're married here. Uh, you, you know if you're married, then you have marriage problems, right? And oftentimes, church communities can allow you to hide those things for a really long time. And so we're trying to create a culture where you can't hide the junk in your life. And as a result of that, from a pastoral standpoint, it can get really hard because there's a lot of messy stuff we're walking through. But what we're seeing is lives being changed, marriages being changed, things that are dealing with pornography addictions, communication breakdowns, and angry husbands that are being dealt with because of the gospel. But most importantly... Back in May, so we're in a set, like Matt said, we're in a setup teardown space in the old YMCA, and so we, they were redoing the gym floors, and so we figured if we're getting kicked out of the space, let's do something outdoors, and let's do a baptism service. Didn't know if anybody was going to want to get baptized or not. We're six weeks old at that point, but we got to baptize six people on week six. Three of them were kids of church kids, which I still get excited about those, and three were brand new believers, two that came to faith that week. So because of what you're doing here and the commitment that your church has to support what we're doing, we're getting to do that there. So you, those six baptisms, you guys got to participate in as well. And so I want to thank you. So actually, Madam, have you come up a second. This is what I was on my way here and realized I forgot this at home. And I was like, oh, we have to go back. So... Um, after Matt was out, it was a chance to be able to introduce Matt to our church. And uh, so last week we brought this and we had everybody sign the outside rim of this. Um, just we want, we know you guys have the mission wall and this is going to be like take up like more than half of that board. So apologize about the size, but uh, we're, we don't do stuff small. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. So as I, as I think about Marshalltown, as I think about you guys, that, that Philippians 1 verse came to my mind. And so that's what... Um, as, as we think about you, we're praying for you, we're thankful for you, we're grateful for you, and I hope that you guys are doing the same for us as you think about Marshalltown. So this is a thank you gift. Uh, this is a brand new mural that actually just got done in Marshalltown. And so, um, yeah, this is, thank you guys for what you're doing. So that's for you, man. Thanks, God. I don't know about you, if part of that like, felt like I was in the middle of a job review where I was having to like, talk about all the good stuff that we've been doing. Like, okay, like, we, we have this going on and that going on and this going on. But uh, speaking of performance reviews, I always hate those. Does anybody here enjoy performance reviews? Nobody? Oh, we got one, kind of a eh, sort of, she must be a good employee. If, any, if she's looking for a job at any point, somebody hire her because she's the person you want. I hated job reviews. I used to work for Target.com. It was the worst job in my life, one of the only jobs in my life that I have been absolutely terrible at. I was the inventory manager for Target.com for kids' clothes, which came in handy the other week. I was talking with a new parent couple that was trying to figure out the, if onesies were a name brand. I was like, no, no, no it's a category of clothing. We were trying to figure out the name of those, like, those sleep-and-play things. I was like, it's just, it's called a sleep-and-play. And so, anyways, random stupid knowledge that does no good ever, except for those situations, comes in handy at times. But I had some of the worst performance reviews I've ever had in my life when I worked there. I had one of those. I'm not sure if you guys have ever had the compliment sandwich. Does this sound familiar? Hey, you're doing okay here. 
you're absolutely awful at all of this, but there's this little good thing we're going to put at the end. So like the compliment at the beginning, the compliment at the end, that's the bread on the sandwich and everything you're doing bad in life stuck in the middle. So it was at one of those terrible compliment sandwich performance reviews that I realized that I, the writing was on the wall and I was not going to have that job for a whole lot longer because I was terrible at it. Actually, I think we have a, a, a video of that performance review. Let me, we got that? Angela, your turn. I actually look forward to performance reviews. I did the youth beauty pageant circuit and I enjoyed that quite a bit. I really enjoy being judged. I believe I hold up very well to even severe scrutiny. Okay, I guess we sent in the wrong video, but that was my fault. As I was thinking about this whole idea of performance reviews, being judged, this, that clip came to my mind, my own performance reviews that I had to sit through came to my mind. And man, other than Angela and this lady, what's your name? What was that? Darla. Other than Angela and Darla, nobody likes being judged. Nobody likes that, the scrutiny of having to go through that job performance review situation. Oftentimes, you even hear people saying like, hey man, don't judge me, I get to do what I want. Or they'll even wrongly quote Jesus' words of, don't judge unless you want to be judged, man, that's what Jesus said. And that verse is often one of those that is most misapplied, misquoted scriptures that I oftentimes come across. So it's my honor to get to walk through that passage with you today. If you have a Bible, why don't you open up to Luke chapter 6, that's going to be where we're going to be at today. But while you're turning there... Kind of remind you the context where you're at in case you missed last week or didn't go back and listen to the message, but we're in the middle of what's called commonly the Sermon on the Plain. And so if you're familiar with the book of Matthew, you know the Sermon on the Mount. That's where Jesus has, it's like the longest sermon that he has that Matthew records. That's all of these things. He's, he's speaking to the masses there. Well, in this Luke chapter 6, this comes right off of Jesus picks his 12 disciples, and then he basically is like pulling them into this little space, and he's like, okay, hey. Now, you guys are my core group. Now, I want to begin to share with you my heart around this. And as he's doing this, like there's this larger group that, that comes and is listening in on this. But really, this is one of those moments where Jesus is really intending to speak to his disciples, the people that he has chosen, that he is walking with. And that's really the context of what's going on here. So let's read in chapter 6 with me, starting in verse 37. We'll go through the end of that chapter. All right. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice how the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. A good tree does not produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree does not produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't say, when, and don't do the things I say? 
I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my word, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug down and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against the house, and it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. Now, at first glance, a lot of this seems almost like you're reading through the book of Proverbs, where it's like random teaching, random teaching, random teaching. But I think Jesus is giving this larger, cohesive instruction in this, where there's, there's some tied together in the middle of this, but a lot of this stuff is these kind of random thoughts and ideas that Jesus is bringing together to give this larger concept. So this first little section of the do not judge unless you be judged. Got a question for you. This verse is saying, do not judge, yet you be judged. But let, uh, if, you have, if you're quick with the Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In the context of this, there's all sorts of crazy things going on in the Corinthian church. And as Paul is dealing with some of these things, he is really challenging that church there to, to actually hold somebody accountable. So there's, in this church, they have a believer that is doing something that he should not be doing. We're not going to get into the details of it because there's kids in the room. And there's all sorts of things that are going on in the middle of this church. And what Paul is saying is, how are you letting a believer in the midst of your church continue in this life? And so then he gets down to the end of that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, where Paul says, for what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? God judges the outsiders. All right, wait, hold on a second, time out. But, but Jesus here is saying don't judge. But yet Paul is telling us we're to judge. So what's going on here? How do we begin to understand what is happening in the middle of this idea? And what's even actually more confusing is right after this, in this whole parable of the blind leading the blind, Jesus is actually telling us to judge. A lot of the rest of this passage is on judging. Good fruit, bad fruit. That's judging. Good foundation, bad foundation. That's judging. So what is Jesus saying here then if we are so confused on this thought? Even this idea of don't condemn, it's that to pronounce guilty. I think what Jesus is telling us here is it is not up to you and I to judge the condition of somebody's soul to determine their eternal state. That is God's job and God's job alone. That's even what Paul is saying in that 1 Corinthians passage. Paul is saying, don't judge those who are outsiders. It's God's job to judge them. But those who are inside, those who show up on Sundays, those who come to your living room, those people that are saying, yes, I believe in Jesus, those are actually the people we're supposed to judge. Now, what does that judging begin to look like? And that's where some of the rest of these passages begin to explain some of that idea of how are we supposed to actually understand this idea? This whole command to not judge, not condemn, is not something where it's, hey, you just let everybody live the way that they want to live. No. If there is somebody in your connection group that is doing something absolutely destructive. Let's say they are addicted to pornography or they're having an affair on their wife. That is not a situation where you'd be like, hey, I'm not supposed to judge. No! If that person is a believer, you get in their life, you get in their face, and you say, this is not okay. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You are a member. You are a part of the church family, the entire new vision of what Matt just laid out. 
And this is what the family does. We walk together through hard times. He also gives these, these positives about forgiving. As we are forgiving, we're supposed to be forgiven even more. As we give, it'll be given to us. And I love this example where he says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We went out for awesome burritos after Matt was in town. And man, these burritos at this place we go to, they're like the size of a football. It's like intimidating. You start to think, I don't think my stomach's actually that big. But yeah, you eat it. And afterwards, you're like, no, I don't think my stomach was actually that big. And as you're watching them like make the thing, you're hoping that this whole thing is going to begin to be like overflowing. Like we got asada steak. We got steak burritos with super good, and you're just hoping that, man, they're just packing more stuff in. Like, push that thing down. Get even more steak in there. Just build this thing up so it's just this massive burrito that I don't even think I can eat. You just want that, that overflowing where you begin to take bites. It's just like stuff is just falling over. You have to, like, clean up after yourself afterwards. It's just so full of good. That's how he's explaining of how we should be giving. We should be giving in, like that burrito that's just so stuffed of goodness that as, you, as you're getting into it, you can't even contain it all. It's just, it's just overflowing in your life. That's the way we're supposed to be forgiving. So there's these negatives, don't be judging, don't be condemning. And I still think that that's talking about the, about the eternal state of somebody's soul. Then on the positives, he's saying, do forgive, do be giving. And not just, don't be just stingy. We're not trying to get like the last couple of drops out of like the gas thing. You guys do that too? Or are you guys rich? Get those last couple of little drops out of the, the gas. I do, at least. That's not what he's talking about. We're not trying to just get like the extra little like, couple drops out of something. It's that abundance that he's calling us to be giving. Now, what's interesting here is he does kind of get into this idea of a place that we should be judging. And the first area that we should be judging is who are your teachers? Who are you trusting and who are you submitting your life to? As he goes in and he says in the middle of that, verse 39, he also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? All right, what, what's going on with this? This is one of those things, man. I remember when Brooke and I were first married, we lived up in Minneapolis, and we were part of a, a small, small group up there, and it was like four or five couples that were all early 20s like we were, and we were all just foolish morons early on in our marriage, had no clue what we were doing, and that was a group of the blind leading the blind. And we didn't know what we were doing at all. <laughs> like, I, we had some of the best relationships we've ever had, but as far as like actually walking people through theological richness, we were the blind leading the blind in the middle of that. And what that also means, now with the advent of the internet and podcasts and YouTube and all these different things that you can begin to like absorb into your life, absorb into your mind, what are you beginning to fill your mind with? I can't tell you how many times I get into conversations with people like, oh, yeah, I go home and I listen to this guy. And half the time or more I hear of the, the, this guy, I'm not going to say names because that's just inappropriate, but it's like, oh, that is not the person that I would recommend you spending time filling up your life with. So who are your teachers you're trusting? Be trusting Matt. Be trusting the elders of your local body. But when it comes to what you're filling your life with outside of that, it, maybe you're the person, you're the sermon junkie, you like going, you're sermon.com, you're Googling stuff, you're, you're listening to 14 different churches and the sermons that they have because that's just what you like to do. That's great. Just check with Matt and the elders here to be like, hey, these are the per people I'm really loving that I'm, I'm listening to. 
are these the people I should be listening to? Are there better people I could be trusting my life to? Be hugely, hugely helpful in that. Because we're supposed to be judging our teachers. We're supposed to be making sure that our teachers are good. Otherwise, you might be following the shop teacher with no fingers. You don't want that guy as your teacher. I remember when I first, we moved to Ames, I sold real estate for eight years, and it was really weird, like we were renting, and so it was so awkward when people would ask, like, oh, like, what's your house like? And I'd be like, oh, I'm actually renting. And it was just so awkward, because it was like, I do believe in home ownership that I'm trying to get you to do, but I'm not currently doing it. And so when we finally did buy a house, it was like, yeah, yeah, great. I no longer feel like a vegan meat salesman. I'm actually like consuming the product I'm telling people that they should be doing. And so who are your teachers? Are you following people that you should be following? All right, now, moving into the splinter and the beam, I actually thought about bringing like a two by four, but we couldn't really fit it in the van without hitting kids in the head. But I thought about just like the image of like holding a two by four and being like, all right, Matt, I see a splinter in your life as I have this like giant beam in front of my face. But that's the imagery that Jesus is giving here. That oftentimes we want to focus on like, hey, uh, I, I noticed you did this like one minute little thing off here. Well, the other side of your own life is completely messed up. This is, again, one of those things where like even the, the beam and the splinter, both of those things are judging things, which is, where, again, I think we are supposed to be judging, but appropriately. Because even as you think about this idea, in, in, in this, Jesus isn't saying that oh, we just got to get rid of the beam because the splinters are okay. No, he's actually saying we need to remove the beams from our lives, from our eyes, in order to see the splinters so then we can begin to remove those. So my question then is as we are trying to remove both the beams and the splinters, how do you begin to do that? Have you ever had something in your eye and you're sitting there trying to do something like in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden you, you can go to a mirror and in the mirror, you can begin to see, oh, act, that's where it's at. I used to wear contacts when I was a kid, and one time I was kind of sitting in class, and I was doing something with my eye, and all of a sudden I thought my contact popped out, which found it the next day. It had turned over and gone into the back of my eye, and then eventually came back up. It was really uncomfortable, in case you're wondering. But I could like, feel something weird, and I couldn't tell what was going on, but as soon as I looked in a mirror, and I could see clearly through the mirror, I could see exactly where it was at, and I was able to remove it. Okay, so, what is your mirror? Scripture. The mirror that you're supposed to be looking in to figure out where are the beams in my life, where are the splinters in my life, is God's Word. Now, if there's just a mirror sitting on a ground, that's not super easy, so it's actually the, the community of faith that comes alongside of you to hold up the mirror for you to look at to figure out where your beams and your splinters are at. That's why I didn't even know you guys were changing your slogan, but conceptually, do you guys understand how that begins to fit? It's for the family as the family of Christ. Is that accurate? And nobody even knows what the old one was. So that, that's the simplicity. That's what he's talking about there. It's sticky and it holds and you can begin to understand the concept then of as the family of Christ, we come alongside one another in the midst of struggle, in the midst of pain, and we help people to begin to understand where are you not lining up? Let me judge you appropriately based on God's word, not my moral standards. And we can help people remove splinters. We can help people remove beams when we do that. This idea of a tree and its fruit, again, 
This is focusing on good versus bad, which sounds really judgy to me, but it's again, it's appropriately judgy. When you begin to talk about this, he gets into this whole idea of it's really not about the trees, it's not about the fruit, but it's about the condition of the heart. But before we get into that, it's, uh, I don't know, if, is anybody here an agronomist or like no, actually knows trees? That was always my biggest struggle when I sold real estate. People would be like, hey, what kind of tree is this? And I was like, ah, it's not an oak. Other than that, I had no clue. But so we moved into this house that we're in in Marshalltown two and a half years ago, and there is an entire apple orchard behind our house. Like a thousand plus trees back there. Love the house, love the view. But also, like in our yard, there there was trees all over the place before the derecho, but that was a while ago. Sad days. Anyways, in our yard, we have a bunch of fruit trees. And when we first moved in, in July, we didn't know what any of those trees were. And because I don't know how to identify trees, but once the fruit started coming in on the trees, we could identify what those trees were. And so eventually we realized that we had a cherry tree that has these little cherries on that are actually, they're not the sweet ones that are really good, they're the really tart ones, slightly annoying with the obnoxious pit in the middle. Oddly enough, they put an apple tree in our backyard. An apple tree. There's an entire orchard on the other side of the fence. And the owners of that have told us, hey, just send your kids over, pick whenever you want. But yet, the former owners decided to plant an apple tree when there's all those. And one of them was a a pear tree that we got like one or two pears per year. That was just obnoxious to mow around. And one of them, we don't even know what it was because we never got any fruit on it. But then there's this peach tree. The peach tree is our favorite. That peach tree goes nuts every year. But I don't know if you know this about peach trees. They produce so much that they almost kill themselves. Because there's so much on a branch, the branches get so heavy, they actually begin to break because they're overproducing. Now, Jesus here is talking about identifying the trees by their fruit, the good trees and the bad trees. So there's a couple of those trees that no longer are there because they didn't produce fruit. So we cut them down because I was sick of having to mow around them and hitting my head on them. So we cut down four of the fruit trees, two of them that weren't producing, And the apple tree, partially because it was damaged from the storm, but it was like, why do we need another apple tree? There's literally thousand trees right there. And so we began to remove some of these trees that were in our yard. But without the fruit, we could not have known what it was. Without knowing if fruit was actually coming in, we couldn't tell if it was a good tree or a bad tree. But out of observing these trees we were eventually able to identify what they were and make the decisions of what we wanted to do with them, whether to keep them or whether to cut them down and burn them. Some of them we've cut down and burned. Some of them we're continuing to leave on. So my brief application question to you on this is what kind of fruit tree are you? Are you like some of the trees in my backyard that didn't produce anything, who were dead or dying and needed to get cut down because they weren't connected to anything? They weren't living out what they were supposed to be doing. Maybe you're like that cherry tree. You're a little sour and filled with some obnoxious pits in your life. I'm not pointing fingers. Maybe you're like the apple tree, that you're producing fruit, but you're really not distinguished from all the other trees around you because there's so many other things that are going on in the middle of that. Or maybe you're like that peach tree, that you give and you give and you give until you're actually harming yourself. I don't know which one you are. Maybe you don't even know which one you are. 
That'd be a great question, plugging into a connection group, which, side note, if you're not in a connection group, you should be. Because if you're not in a connection group, how do people begin to hold up scripture? How do you get into lives of people to begin to figure out where that stuff is at? But maybe that's a question to wrestle through. What kind of tree am I? And am I producing good fruit? I had somebody one time use an example for me of, uh, I, I meant to grab a water bottle, but I didn't. But having a little water bottle, and they're talking all of a sudden, they go like squirt it, and the water comes squirting out. And because when you squeeze a water bottle, what comes out is water. And it's the same idea what Jesus is talking about here. Out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So not only are you judging based on good fruit, bad fruit, but you can see the condition of the heart based on what's coming out of the mouth, just like you can can tell the condition of the tree based on what's growing on its branches. So really this whole idea of asking what kind of tree are you is really asking what is the condition of your heart. It's a heart issue thing. All right, getting into this two foundations piece. Again, this one feels a little judgy. Is it a good foundation or is there no foundation? You're kind of, again, the consistency amongst these stories with this. But I don't know uh, if anybody here is a builder, but it takes a long time to build a solid foundation. And oftentimes when you begin to go into older houses, you can tell when the foundation is crumbling based on what's above it. So even in our house, it was built in the 70s, you walk down our uh, hallway to a couple of the kids' bedrooms and you pass a certain spot and you can feel this floor dip down. As we were having to redo our basement, because we had a flood a while back, right before middle of COVID, somewhere around that whole time frame, it was a fun year. I had to rebuild our entire basement, and I could tell in the process of doing that that there was our floor in our basement was an inch and a half off level in the four-foot space, which meant that our entire foundation is actually slowly sinking into the ground, which is affecting everything above it. So the foundation is one of the most important pieces about a house, and the foundation is the most important piece in your life. Even we lived in Ames for eight years, and we lived in a spot where I don't know if anybody here goes to Kohl's to shop, but I remember driving past when they were, had torn down the old part of the mall. They were rebuilding this new building, and it felt like for months, I'm driving by there, and it's, there's machines happening, there's stuff getting moved around, but on the surface, it looked like nothing is happening. And eventually what I realized is because all of a sudden, like one day I walk by, they're putting up one wall. Like the next week I drive by and all of a sudden like all the walls and the ceiling is on and the next week I drive by and I'm buying overpriced clothing from Kohl's. It was like once that foundation was set, the walls and everything were up and the store was open almost immediately. But the time that it took to build the foundation took more time than the rest of the building because without a solid foundation, there is no hope of something standing long term. So how is your foundation looking? What does that begin to look like? Oftentimes we'll walk people through this image of if you think of how a pyramid is made and there's, there's multiple different segments to the pyramid of how your personal life is going to be influencing how your family life looks because I think like each one gets a little bit smaller as you go up. And if your personal life is not solid, then your family life is going to be crumbling. If your family life is crumbling, then your ability to really be in community, be a part of the family of Christ begins to get harder because your family is crumbling and you're trying to hide those cracks. 
And if you're not, if, if you're not solid, if your family's not solid, if you're not plugged into a local church that's really loving you and walking with you, your ability to actually witness outside of the watching world becomes a lot less. And so there's this idea then where one of the most destructive things to Christianity is when people who don't have a solid foundation or their life is messed up or their marriage is messed up go out and start trying to tell people about Jesus. Because you meet those people and it's like, hey, man, like my life is a total mess, but you should be like me. No. No, there's some beams in that guy's life. So how do we begin to walk through that? But that, that whole pyramid concept, I left off the foundation. If that foundation is not built on Christ, everything above it begins to fall apart. This idea of the foundation, or really in that idea, any layer begins to get cracked, any layer begins to get crumbly, and everything on top of it begins to fall apart and to crumble. So what Jesus is saying here is this, the one who hears the word, he's like a man who builds a house, who digs deep and lays the foundation on the rock. And when the flood came, and the river began to bash against it, it stays because the foundation of Jesus Christ is solid. And he goes on to say, but the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. So I want to ask you, what is your foundation look like? Is your foundation firmly rooted in Christ? If not, is your connection to that foundation a little weak? And notice I didn't ask if your foundation is weak because Christ can't be weak. So what does your connection to that foundation begin to look like? Because there can be an awesome foundation underneath the house, but if nobody attaches the house to it, just as destructive, right? So you have to be connected to that foundation, that, connect, that foundation that is grounding you to the ground, holding you through the storms, holding you through the floods, holding you through the, the tough stuff of life. That foundation is pulling you in. But if you have a weak connection to that foundation, there will be no depth, and the solidity of that foundation does you no good in your life. So what's the connection to that foundation look like for you? Is it strong and are you tied down to it? Are you strapped to that foundation? Or are you just kind of willy-nilly, yeah, there's a big concrete slab over here, so I kind of just threw up a little shack on that and there's really no connection to that. Or maybe you're even sitting here and that guy who built his house on the ground is resonating with you. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, hey, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. I just came because a friend invited me or my wife's been nagging me. Or maybe I don't know what your life looks like, but I, I don't want to... See, I, I always hate assuming... I do this at Marshalltown too, so this isn't just you. But I, I hate assuming that just because you're sitting here that you understand the gospel. I don't assume that because you've read the Bible that you actually are firmly connected to that foundation because there's a lot of us that we can actually begin to trick ourselves and we can begin to think that we're something when we're not and we have all these beams in our life and our, we have bad fruit coming out of us and there's no connection to a foundation and yet we walk in here and we act like everything's okay. That is destructive to you and it's destructive to your church family around you. So what Jesus is calling us to do is to begin to examine our own lives 
So we actually begin to judge ourselves first. And then we let those who are around us that love us begin to judge us as well. The book of Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So the people that are sitting around you, would you consider them friends? And so if there's something going on in your life and somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, Darla, I, I realize you think you're doing a really good job at work, but we might need to work through something there. Are you going to receive that? Are you going to hear that from them? The reason that this is important is because one day we will all be judged of that eternal judgment. One day we will stop breathing here. We will move from this life into eternity and we will stand before God and God is going to ask you one critical question. Was your life, was your house rooted in the foundation of my son? That's the one question God cares about. He doesn't care about how much you gave to Stonebridge. He doesn't care about how many kids you bought hats and gloves for. Those things are important. I'm not saying they're not. But Jesus, God doesn't care about those things. He's going to ask you one question. And as he judges you, it's going to be all based on everything of your life. Everything that you've done wrong is going to be before you. And when God asks you, with all of this, with all of this in front of you, why do you get to be part to dwell with me? What he's asking you is, is your foundation Jesus? Is your foundation my son? And if not, woe to you. If your foundation is not rooted in Christ, I hope that gives you pause today just to wonder and to ponder about that idea. And if your foundation is weak, where if that storm comes along and it's going to rip you right off, what needs to happen in your life to begin to root you into that foundation? How are you going to respond to the community around you? What does that overflow of your heart begin to look like? And what is the condition of your connection to the foundation? The last thing I want to say is as we, as we ponder that question that God will ask us in the future, as he lays out everything that we've done wrong, What he's really asking is, is the judgment been paid? The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, 5, that the judgment that we deserved was put on him. By his stripes, we've been healed. So all, all of what we deserve, the judgment that we deserve was put on Christ on the cross. And when God turned his back from Jesus, it was so that he would never again have to turn his back from us who believe in Christ. So as you think about that day of when you will be judged, what will your answer be when God asks you, for what reason do you think that you get to dwell with me? And if your answer is anything but the blood of Christ has paid my sins, woe to you. Can you pray with me? God, we come before you today, Lord, as we think about these truths and this idea of your gospel message, Lord, and how we are supposed to be responding to you, Lord, how you have called us to yourself, how you have paid the penalty, how you one day will judge us based on what Jesus has already done for us. 
as we ponder these things, Lord, may we also begin to look at these instructions that Jesus has given to his disciples, that he has given to his followers. Lord, the people that he is beginning to call into relationship with him, that he's walking through and teaching in these truths, Lord, that we are to understand that we will be judged in eternity, Lord, that we are called to hold one another accountable to the truths that we espouse here now. And Lord, may we be trusting not in blind guides, but guides that can see clearly and lead us towards your truth, Lord. God, may we not be focusing on the the beams and the splinters in other people's eyes, Lord, but may you reveal in our own lives where those things are at. And God, will you help us to determine what is the root of our heart, these trees and the fruit that we are being involved in, Lord, this, this image of our heart and the overflow of that representing who we are. God, would you be just convicting us? Would you be calling us to repentance again to you? Lord, I am grateful that your foundation is so solid that I don't have to fear the foundation of you not being solid, Lord. But what I ask is that you would, you would grab onto me and hold me against that foundation, Lord, even when I want to run away, even when I want to give up, Lord, even when I want to don't think that I'm worth it, Lord. Would, would you hold on to us in the midst of those storms? God, I thank you for Stonebridge Church. I thank you for this morning that you've showed up and that you were here with us, Lord, and that we get to continue to worship you today. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.